Are you the son of God? I am. I'm grateful that I get to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 19, and we're going to get there in just a second. Um, you know, if you're a parent, um, do you remember how silly you looked when your children started talking? I mean, do you remember that? Uh, I can remember when Emily was born and, and uh, she was starting to say her first words and Robin and I are down in her face going, okay, here, here it comes. And Emily looks at us and like, says something like, da, da. And I looked at Robin and I said, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Oh my goodness, she, it's true, Robin, we've raised a genius. Yeah, she has spoken, and her first word, she's far out surpassed her peers, and oh my goodness, this is amazing. And, and I, I, we, I was at a wedding last night, and I saw a parent doing, like, doing that, and, and I was like, oh my goodness, I acted like that. You know, your first words are, are hilarious, but, but, but you know, they're important, but, but your last words are more important, aren't they? I mean, I mean, I remember years about I don't know, twelve years ago or so, I got asked to go speak at a at a camp in Colorado, and Robin and I went together, and and we were um, we we'd gone two days early because we wanted to go skiing in in steamboat. And as we're uh, leaving Steamboat uh, from skiing, it was a blizzard, and we're coming over Rabbit Ears Pass, if you've ever been there, uh, in that part of Colorado, and uh, it's a blizzard. We can't see, and, and, it, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving about 15 miles an hour coming into this little town, and, uh, and I'm coming around a curve, and all of a sudden, I lose control of my car. We had a van at the time, and, and at the same time, this Toyota 4Runner is coming the other way, and we are about to have a head-on collision, and here was what I said. I looked at Robin, and I put my arm right here. I said, here we go. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, we crash. And, and after that crash, I thought to myself, man, I thought that was my last words. I guess it could have been worse, right? I mean, but, but, but I thought, man, I hope I do better than that in my last words, you know? And because uh, here we go. But... You know, the last words of a person really reveals their heart, right? It reveals what's in the inside. And not, now, not all of us will have the, the blessing or the challenge of knowing that it's our end. But Jesus knew that. He knew that his end was coming. And, and, and on the cross we have the, the description of the last words of Christ. And, and in John 19, uh, we're, we're going to look at this passage for the next two weeks. And today we're going to look at two of the statements Jesus made. And then next week on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at his last statement that he made on the cross, which is so incredibly profound. But what's amazing about those that know it's their last words, they, they want to make those count. And Jesus most definitely made his last words count. Now, 
As we look at John's account here, and what we, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, uh, we've been taking each gospel account of the crucifixion, and, and you'll notice there's a few differences in each of the, of the gospel writers, and then a, lot of, a lot of skeptics in the world will point to that and say, see, the, the Bible's not consistent, the story's not the same. And, and, you know, that, that's really understandable. The differences in the Gospels are understandable. It's because it's like the accident. After our accident, we, the police officers took statements from all of us. And, and, and they were like, well, what happened? And the truth is all of us gave a little different statement because we were in different seats, right? But then as, as we told our statements, there were variances in our story. But, but one thing that was certain we had a wreck, and that was obvious, and that was consistent. And one thing that's certain about the gospel accounts is that Jesus died, and he rose from the dead. And that's changed us. And, and like that, that, I love it that Joe's writing songs and, and that our, our worship teams are writing songs because, uh, you know, I, I love that song that Joe has written. And, and, and I don't know, like, like my preacher had all these, when I was growing up, my pastor had all these cool statements as a pastor. I feel like I don't do as well as he did. But he always would say, man, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet, Right? And, and I'll tell you, we, we are free because of Christ. The, the, the bonds of sin no longer hold us. The fear is taken away. The fear of, of, of that last day on the earth is taken away because of the resurrection. Now, John 19, um, let's look at this moment because the subtle differences in the gospel accounts doesn't slam the credibility of each of the gospels. And and it doesn't change the fact that Jesus came to earth in a miraculous way. That he lived this life that was truly beyond compare. And that when he went to the cross, he, he died a substitutionary death. And then he gloriously rose from the dead. And that's why we have hope. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we come and gather around the word of God. So would you stand with me? And let's look at John 19, starting in verse 16. And it says this, So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which, is, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with, with two others, on, one on either side, Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near in the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let it, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. 
But standing by the cross of Jesus where, where his mother and his, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After Jesus, knowing that this was all now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, um, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, the life of Christ, truly was the focal point of human history. And one of the things that I pray we understand is that, that the crucifixion was an historical event. It was a moment in history, a moment in time that, that changed the world and, and the world looks to and, and, and the world was anticipating. And, and, and prior to Christ's coming, they looked to the moment that the Messiah would come. Now after Jesus came, we look back at that moment as the moment that changed everything. It was a moment in time. A moment in history. That's why it's credible. The death of Christ was this, not only a historical event, it was an abnormal event. It was this moment that, that, that the innocent man, the, the one that was sinless, he, he went to the cross becoming sin. I mean, the death of, of Jesus was, the, the crucifixion of Jesus was, was amazing because it, he didn't deserve this punishment. He didn't deserve the death. He, he, he had never sinned. He had never had a bad thought. He had never had a bad motive. He had lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And yet he was the one that was taking on the punishment for sin. That's abnormal. That, I mean, you would understand a criminal or, a, or, or, a, or someone that is, that is done wrong to others, someone deserving of death. We've all seen that as, as, as people are, 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 are committing atrocities and, and, and crimes and, 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 and bad things. They do bad things to people. And we think, yeah, they deserve that, but Jesus didn't deserve it. It was an abnormal event, an abnormal moment. Even Pilate, it's so interesting. Pilate is standing before Jesus. What does he say? He he says, I find no fault in him. I mean, that's crazy to me, this this Roman, pagan, immoral person, this ruler that was corrupt, and he looks and, and he says what the Jews missed. He says what God's own people missed. I find no fault in him. And so he writes, on, like John writes, that he put the king of the Jews. I mean, Pilate was the one making truth claims when the people that knew better were putting him on the cross. The crucifixion was an abnormal event, but also it was a supernatural event. I mean, God was accomplishing something supernatural, something that's beyond explanation, beyond physical, beyond the, the, the realm of things we can see with our own eyes. You know, 
you know, the Bible says, First Peter chapter 2, Peter writes that, that, that we were the people that moved to those who, who had not, once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And the cross was this supernatural event where, where we are now able to receive and understand and embrace the mercy of God. It's an amazing event. Look at verse 25. Because on the cross, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And it's interesting that, that when the, the crucifixion happened and, and, and when the, the arrest of Jesus happened and the news got to these ladies, what do they do? That they run to the scene. Where did the disciples go? The men that were strong, the men that were, were bold, the men that stood with Jesus, the men that watched him, that, that were discipled by him. Where did they go? They ran. And it's the ladies that ran to the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of, Mary of Clopas, and, and, and Mary Magdalene, this, these ladies show their bravery, they run. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. What an amazing statement. I mean, what an amazing moment. I mean, here is, is Jesus taking on the sins of, of humanity. I mean, the supernatural um, forces that are at work here are absolutely astronomical. I mean, if we were to put on spiritual glasses and, and watch the scene of the cross, I would think we would all be like, whoa, look at all that's happening in the, in the spiritual world, in the realm of, of things that are unseen. And yet Jesus looks down and says, i got to take care of my mom. I mean, you would think that, that Jesus would be busy, that it would be, I mean, it's so devastating and, and such, such suffering. I mean, like we looked at last week, God had just forsaken him. He turned his back on him. The first time in eternity that that had taken place. And yet Jesus looks and says, i, I got to take care of my mom. Point number one today, it's glaring in front of us. The example of honoring our parents has been set. I mean, on the cross, this is the example of honoring our parents, honoring our mother and our father. I mean, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, we, we know what Paul wrote. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That, that we're, we're called to honor our, our mother and our father. And on the cross, in this moment, the last words of Jesus, I mean, the, he knew this was coming. He knew that these were his last statements, and, and he's about to, to, to pay the price for all humanity. And in the act of doing that, he looks down in his suffering with nail-pierced nail feet and, and, and nail, nailed arms to the cross, a crown of thorns on his head, people spitting on him and mocking him, and he had just carried his cross. He was exhausted. He was near death. And yet he had the fourth 
forethought, the foresight to go, look, John, take care of my mom. You know, this statement is so fascinating. There's several things about it I want to just point out. Number one, this is a, this statement fulfills Simeon's prophecy. Do you remember Simeon's prophecy? Remember that moment in the life of, of Mary and Joseph that, that, that Gabriel had come to them and, and, and Gabriel had said, look, you're going to be with child and, and how am I going to explain this to Joseph? And then Joseph gets it and, and gets visited by Gabriel himself and Joseph accepts Mary. They're, they're wed. They, they go to, 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 to dedicate Christ at the temple. Remember Simeon. Simeon is there. And, and she comes not knowing that, that people are aware of this. And, and, and you know, the, 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 the angels had come and they had sung and, and, and word is starting to spread. This is the Messiah. And all of a sudden they walk in and Simeon walks up. And what does he say? In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And this is the moment. Right here is the moment that Mary is seeing this prophecy unfold. I mean, what a strange moment to walk in the temple with your baby. And Simeon comes up and says, look, look, Mary, you're blessed. And, and, and this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And he will be a sign that will be opposed. And here's Mary seeing this play out in front of her eyes. And, and right here is the moment that a sword is piercing her soul. That's her son. She believed in Jesus. She, she knew these, pro, these prophecies about him. She knew that, that this was going to take place, that, that, that something big was going to be, be, uh, be resulting from the life of her son. She was never going to leave him. And even in this moment of, of the whole world forsaking him and, and people abandoning him, and, 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 and here he is all alone, she's like, I'm there. I'm going to be there. And though her heart was pierced, and, and you that are mothers can relate to this, can't you? And she wasn't going to leave her son. And I think about Mary's loyalty to Jesus here. But then the tables are turned because you see Jesus' loyalty to his mother. What a beautiful picture. This statement is a fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy. This statement also, and I want us to see this, this statement reveals God's response to repentance. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of repentance that I don't want to miss because think about John standing there. I mean, he says the disciple that Jesus loved, John was one of the three. And here is John is standing there at the foot of the cross in this moment saying, Jesus, I'm, I've come back. I mean, you know the moment of the, of, the, of the arrest of Christ. The disciples fled. They all ran. They ran off. And, and as they ran off, um, they, they, they all left. Peter denied Christ. But John, what does John do? He comes back. And from the cross, Jesus doesn't look and go, John, what are you, why'd you leave? 
Where, where are all the guys? Where are they in this hour of my life? How could you abandon me? I've, I've prepared you for this. But yet Jesus doesn't say that. It's the disciple that he loved. And, and, and John writes this. And, and, and can you imagine the, the guilt that John has felt? And, and to look into the eyes of Jesus and knowing, look, I, I've got to write on the disciple that he loved. After his betrayal, man, I just, I mean, John, had, he was the first one to return. And when he returned to Christ, you know, he, he was embraced by Christ. And can I, can I just ask you, maybe you're here, and, and you, you need to return to Jesus. And, and Satan is a liar, and he tells us that, that you know what, if, if you're in rebellion, if you've, if you've walked away from the Lord, then God won't receive me. But that's not what the Holy Spirit does. I mean, we know the story of the prodigal son, that, that when, we are, when the son was away and he rebelled and he forsook his father's blessing, what happened when he came back? The father ran to meet him. Kill the fattened calf, my son is home. And see, it's the love of Christ that absolutely compels us to, come to, to, to follow him for a lifetime. And if you are away from the Lord right now, can, I, can, I, can we look at John and see that John was there. And even though he rebelled and ran and was afraid, he was received by the Savior. And he was used by God in a, in a very important way. And even when we rebel, we don't move to a point of uselessness. And so can, can we just see that today? You know, Jesus is modeling this amazing picture of forgiveness. He taught it in Luke 17. He says, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And Jesus models, he puts into practice what he teaches. He was forgiving of John. And when I look at Jesus' statement to his mother, it's amazing to me at Christ's responsibility. This statement models the responsibility of a son and a daughter. I mean, I mean this moment, it, it sets the example for us as a son or daughter. And can, I, can we hear this call that we have to honor our father and mother? And, and it's amazing to me, in the midst of the crucifixion, in the midst of all this, Jesus embraced his responsibility. Mary was likely a widow. We don't hear about Joseph after, after Jesus' 12-year-old experience in the temple. It's likely that Joseph died. I, I mean, I, I, I think that's what happened. I, I, I don't think Joseph uh, was afraid of, of his son, who was a Messiah. We know Mary had other children. We know they had other, we know Jesus had siblings. But, but, but you know, Mary was likely a widow and, and, and she was alone and Jesus was caring for her. And, and you know what? At this point, we know that Jesus' brothers didn't believe him. John didn't, or James, the brother of Jesus, didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. And that makes sense. If my brother was walking around saying, I'm God, I'd be like, shut up, man. You're embarrassing our family. But then if he rose from the dead, I'd be like, okay, I got it. And that's what James, that's what James did. That's why he wrote in James 1.1, James, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But at this point, they didn't believe. 
And here's the big lesson for us today. Honoring your parents is not just a command for the young, but it's also a responsibility for those who are older. Do you know that? That just because you've moved out of your house doesn't mean that you no longer have the call to honor your father and mother. And that's challenging because as we grow up, we disagree with our father and mother sometimes, right? But we're to honor them. And so, so do, we, do you need to reconcile with your mom or dad? Do you need to show the kind of forgiveness that, that Jesus showed to John? Because, you know, when, you, when you're little, you say things like, my dad can beat up your dad, right, at school. But then you get older and you realize your parents are, they make mistakes. They're flawed, like you and me. And, and I, I pray we hear this call to honor our father and mother. And you might say, well, hey, you know what? I don't have to do that anymore. My, my parents are with the Lord. They, they've, they've died. I don't have to honor my, my father and mother anymore. But that's not true. Even if your parents are with the Lord, do you know that, that you can honor their instruction in your life, honor their memory? Do you pass those stories on to your children and your grandchildren? You know, you know, I love what my father-in-law does. My, at, at our family, Paul, um, who's on our staff, and, and we, we will be around the table. And, and, and when we have family lunches, he doesn't miss it. I mean, it's expected now. Our kids are like, what's the question today? And, uh, and that's just how it rolls at our house. And, and we don't just sit there and stuff our faces. We have a question around the table. Hey, to tell us something. And often it'll be something about, uh, let me tell you something my dad taught me when I was growing up. And, and let me tell you what, what Papa was like and, and what, what, what they were like when they were younger. They're with the Lord. All of them are. But these stories continue. Can I, tell, can I just challenge us to, to learn from what Paul has taught me, which is we sit around the table and we don't just talk about the basketball game, but we talk about what matters and, and we have conversations that pass on the history of our family, our life, the lessons we've learned lessons about the Lord, stories of scripture. What's your favorite Bible verse? What's your favorite Bible story has been a a question. What's something you've been learning recently is a question. I love that, that it's amazing to see on the cross as, as Jesus was performing the mightiest work in the history of humanity. He honors his mother. Man, there's a lot to think about there. You know, I think about Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave your life and do not despise your mother when she is old. I think there's some of us that need to hear that today. I think there's some of us that we need to repent of the way we've not honored our mother and our father. And plus, don't you know that your kids are watching you and watching the way you treat your mother and your father? And don't you think that they might do what they've learned from you? Man, I think we need to learn from Jesus today. Honor our father and mother. But look at verse 28. 
He doesn't stop there. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. We'll pick up verse 30 next week. But I want us to turn turn the camera, if you will, on that statement, I thirst. And right there, John says, uh, right before he said that, he said, to fulfill the scripture. Now, now this statement has huge implications, and and it's an amazing statement. Point number two is this, that that the humanity and deity of Christ is on display with this statement, I thirst. I mean, think about this amazing reality, this, this amazing theological thought that the humanity and the deity of Christ are in one person. And it's, it's almost difficult to grasp. I'll explain it like this. This statement shows Jesus as the God-man. That's who Jesus was. And, 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 and basically it's this. When Jesus came into the world, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person, and he will be so forever. Now that is a complex doctrinal statement. And, and that's a very important doctrine. And, and as, a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you need to study this. You need to look into this. The fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. Now, if you've ever studied the book of 1 John, John wrote his book to combat, the, combat this teaching called docetism. And, and these were a group of people who, who made a distinction between the material world and the spiritual world. And in this teaching, it was circulating in the, in the early church. And they were saying uh, things like, like, Jesus really wasn't God in the flesh. He wasn't God as a man. He wasn't fully man and fully God in one person. But that's not what the scripture says. First John, John is combating this. He says in 1 John 4, 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit which does not confess Jesus, confess Jesus is not God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, John says. Because there are many people in the world that see Jesus as just a man. But the humanity of Christ is critical. The suffering of Christ is critical because Jesus suffered. It shows that we can relate to him. He was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And and we, like John, understand that the humanity of Christ makes the, the crucifixion the greatest gift we've ever known and we could ever receive. And I want you to understand, there's, there's a theological word, word called the incarnation. And that was God coming in the flesh. And that's critical for our salvation. Philippians 2.8, we're going to look at this after the Easter season. We're going to get into the book of Philippians where he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This statement, I thirst, shows the God-man at work. This I thirst statement also shows the importance of fulfilled prophecy. 
we see that John pointed out that, that he said, I thirst, because he wanted to fulfill a prophecy that in, in Psalm 69, 21 that says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And, and I want you to see that when Jesus came, he fulfilled every prophecy. That's why Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he made this claim that, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And on the cross, Jesus made sure that I will fulfill every prophecy that was made about me. And he didn't leave anything undone. And so on the cross, he says, I thirst. So that in that moment, at the, at the last hour, that last prophecy would be fulfilled. And he was given that wine. I want you to see that the Bible draws a map to Jesus. And it's a map we can trust. It's a map we need to know. And Jesus fulfilled every prophecy written about him. And that causes me as a believer to, to intellectually, with my mind and with my understanding, realize that it makes sense to follow Jesus. And I want to ask you a question. Um, do you have enough sense to follow him? I want you to know the cross makes sense. And Jesus makes sense in an intellectual world, a world that we live in, that people think, you know, I got all this figured out. I want you to know, if you study the scripture, you see that it's obvious Jesus is who he said he is. The statement, I thirst, um, such an incredible moment. It also reveals the struggle of every human being. Think about what Jesus is right there. He's becoming sin. God himself is becoming sin for you and me. And what does he say? I thirst. I can't help but look at the world I live in and realize that our world is thirsty. It's like, the, remember the woman at the well? Remember when Jesus was, 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 was encountering her and he, and he walked up to her and he said, hey, hey, can you give me something to drink? And she was like, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are, you, why are you even speaking to me? And he goes, would you give me something to drink? She, she goes, well, but, okay, I will. And, and the disciples come and they're like, what are you talking to her for? Remember what Jesus said to her? John 4, 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But I'm going to give you a water that you can drink that you will never thirst again. You see, mankind has, has been in pursuit of their own way, their own path. And the cross has, has invaded human history and, it, and, it, and, it, and we can't help but look at it. And as we do, we realize, look, following my own path doesn't work. It leaves me perpetually thirsty. And that's why I pray 
that we hear this today. Jesus claims, makes this statement in his last words, I thirst, which it reveals the struggle that maybe you walked in with. Maybe you're living your own way and you're, you're, you're realizing, you know what, golly, it doesn't work. And this path that I've pursued for myself, maybe, maybe you've achieved that, that, that checkbook, that stability. Oh, you don't have to worry about money anymore. Maybe that's you. But you realize, man, is, is that it? Is that really? Man, it's just not satisfying. That's why you see the most miserable people in the world are the rich and famous, right? They achieve all their dreams. And then sadly realized it's not enough. It doesn't fulfill me. And so in this moment on the cross, Jesus makes this statement, I thirst. And I think it's so big for us. Because in this very act of giving his life, he's fulfilling exactly what he said to the Samaritan woman. Look, I'm going to give you a water that you can drink where you'll never thirst again. Are you thirsty today? Are you tired of, of pursuing your own path in life? There's a reason you're tired. There's a reason that, that, that these earthly things, living for yourself, going your own path, doesn't work because, because it's a pointless pursuit. And as we turn our face and turn our lives to Christ and say, Jesus, we will follow you as a husband. I will, I will take you at your word. I will love my wife like Christ loved the church. As a wife, I'll, I'll submit myself to my husband as to the Lord. As a, as a human being, as, as, a, as, a, as a person, you will say, Lord, I will seek you. I will honor you. I'll look to you. I'll surrender to you. That's why... Putting your faith in Christ sets you free. We sang that. The chains are gone from me. The chains of death and sin and suffering. I mean, this week, my wife wrote a, an article for our women's ministry and talked about the day that, don't you just long to be out of this sin-filled life and be with the Lord. Man, Jesus loves you. He's in pursuit of you, and the cross was, was pursuing you. And in him, you have life. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew, in Matthew 10, 39 and 30, 38 and 39, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you turn to him today? This pursuit of your life, if you're, if you're going away from him, you'll never find what you're looking for. Jesus, like the old song, remember, Jesus is the answer. For the world today, above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Follow him today.
can I, can I challenge us to bring some, this, in just a few hours, as soon as our second service is over, we're striking this room. The Passion Week begins. Bring somebody that's thirsty to let them see what our Savior has done.